Okay. Well, uh, good morning. And uh, I think the first thing is um, I like to not sell my cargo, but I do want to introduce some a hymn that I wrote. And uh, uh, <clears throat> these days there seems to be some bursts of creativity. Uh, I think it is uh, the Spirit's inspiration. And so I have been actually writing song after song and hymn after hymn uh, in recent years, actually in the, especially in the last two or three. And uh, uh, back last uh, Thanksgiving, the, the U.S. Thanksgiving conference um, in Charlotte, uh, I was given a message uh, to share, and <clears throat> that message, at least in one point, touches uh, this great chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 on love. You know this famous chapter on the divine love, the agape love in Greek. And so um, I, I have for a long time been very, very much moved by that chapter. I'm sure you are too. Uh, <clears throat> and so I took that opportunity to write a hymn. In fact, in that conference, uh, flying from coast to coast, west coast to the east coast, uh, I penned the hymn, and I sang it. And after I sang it, I felt, I realized this is no good. Um, so I went back and rewrote the whole hymn. And so here it is. And this morning we sang, oops, uh, the 433. And I asked, the brother, asked us to sing this simply because it's the same tune. I use that tune. So I like to warm you up first. You know, your, your vocal cords and uh, your familiarity with this tune. And so now we can sing this song that I wrote. And I hope uh, the sister who plays the piano would kind of uh, slow down the tempo a little bit. Uh, the other, we sang it a little bit too fast. Um, uh, I think this song requires a little bit uh, slower tempo. And you will see uh, it covers the entire chapter uh, with, without much interpretation and this and that. Uh, but to me, it is a very um, uh, precious hymn, if you will, with the word of God. Uh, let's read it together first, the four um, stanzas, shall we? Uh, let's read it together. Oh, perfect love, it suffers long forbearing, tender and kind, it leads the soul to sing. Free from all jealous thought and boastful feeling, may I this love divine to others bring. O oh, selfless love, tis never unbecoming. Purest affection seeks not its own things, never provoke nor counting evil doing. Let this love echo forth from my heart strings. O noble love, in righteousness rejoicing, 
a love that cheers wherever truth is king. It covers all things and believes it all things. It hopes all things and will endure all things. O lasting love, it fades not near abating. Timeless and strong prevails o'er everything. When knowledge fails and gifts are unavailing, may I be found in its eternal spring. Of course, the, uh, some uh, Chinese translation is there to the right. So, sister, can you play the, the uh, play it one time through for us, a little slower? We can still be slightly a little bit slower. Okay, let's let's try, huh? Let's try, shall we? Mm-hmm. Oh, perfect love, it suffers long forbearing, tender and kind, it leads the soul to sing, free from all jealous thought and boastful feeling. May I this love divine to others bring. O selfless love, tis never unbecoming. Purest affection seeks not its own things, never provoke, nor counting evil doing. Let this love echo forth from heart strings. Oh, noble love, in righteousness rejoicing, that cheers wherever truth is king. It covers all things and believes it all things. Things and will endure all things. O lasting love, it fades not near abating. Timeless and strong prevails all everything. When all its fails and gifts are unavailing, may I be found in its.
like it? Just sing it again. How about that? You know, sometimes the more you sing it, the more you get into the spirit of it, all right? It gets into you as well, all right? Okay, let's try it again. whether it's gifts, whether it is uh, any other kind of things, good things I mean, they will cease and they will become useless. But love never fails. Love will remain till eternity. Uh, As we know, God is love. So one day everything will go away, everything will pass on, but God as love will still be here. And so, actually, I didn't just write this hymn like this. There was a period of time that the Lord let me 
just to pray read this chapter over and over again. And the more I pray read, the more I realize something like this, I mean this kind of love, is simply not in me. Uh, it's just simply not in me, humanly speaking. And only Christ is such a love. But not only Christ in his person, uh, in his being. Of course, he is the reality of this love. <clears throat> but more than that, Christ lived out. Christ expressed. Consummately and ultimately, to live Christ, listen, to live Christ is simply to love. Consummately, in all things, whether it is towards God, whether it is towards men. And there's all kinds of men. Uh, those mankind in general, and our loved ones, people that are close to us, you know, your family, relatives, people around you. Only love works. Only love remains. <clears throat> and so to live Christ among men is simply to express this divine love every which way. And I hope that, uh, sisters, you have the time. You would also pray read this chapter. Don't just pray read it in a few minutes. Take a week. Take a month. Take several months to slowly chew on this chapter. Word by word and chapter by uh, uh, verse uh, sentence by sentence. Let me tell you, that's the only way to pray read this chapter. It is almost poetic. Uh, people call it, this is the highest definition of love, whatever it is. But um, we're not here just for the philosophy of love, right? We're here to touch God. In his word, in a living way. And there's no better uh, approach than to pray it. So muse on it. Uh, take your time. I took sometimes just even one line. One line. <clears throat> There's one sentence. It says, love does not brag. B-R-A-G. Love does not brag. So that, just that few words, was enough for me to meditate on and pray read for a few days. Love does not brag. Love does not brag. And then I look at myself full of bragging. Even this morning I'm bragging on my hymn. <laughs> Love does not brag. What does that mean? Well, you don't know, I don't know. But pray it. Pray it, and the light will shine. Pray it, and there will be some exposure there. Pray it, and the Lord will speak. Then this unbragging love will be assimilated by you, right? To some degree. And so, uh, sisters, 
just spend a few weeks and time to dwell on this wonderful chapter uh, of First Corinthians 13. So I offer this as a little gift to you. Now, uh, we're here for two meetings to continue uh, our sister's lessons. Now, the last time I was here was, was it a year ago? I don't even remember when we gather in the same way here. And we covered two lessons. <clears throat> and I still remember those sessions were quite anointed. Um, I myself was actually very, very helped by my sharing. Um, and I also felt it was very needed concerning the position of a woman, right? Concerning God's order in this universe, um, and so on and so forth, which are all basic and fundamental things. Now, we have been moving on these lessons. Whenever I have a chance, I would speak on these lessons because we have altogether 48 lessons. And now we're still in number 11. And actually, we skipped 9 and 10. So you said, my goodness, this is really snail's pace. Well, I say it's slower than snail pace. Um, but that's all the time I have. And by the way, uh, again, I risk bragging again here. Um, uh, a few months back, uh, while I was uh, giving these lessons, um, it came to me in chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. There's a whole chapter on the subject of the worthy woman. A worthy woman. <clears throat> and so, um, all spoken in a very metaphoric kind of a way. You know Proverbs, a lot of metaphors. And so it requires some interpretation. So I was inspired, and I gave actually two messages without outlines uh, on a worthy woman, according to Proverbs 31. And those are recorded. Uh, audio-visual, and uh, they're not even part of the 48 lessons. If we add to it, there will be 50 lessons. And so I think you can access it. The brothers here can help you to access it. If there would be a chance, I hope that you can all come and view it together, you know, like, a, like on a video kind of thing. Just come together like this, two sessions, just view that. Now, again, I'm not selling my cargo here, but uh, sisters, um, those, uh, uh, that speaking was also, I feel, very, very on point, very, very needed. And also not in a light way, you know, just uh, some interpretation or just some kind of exhortation. There's really some light there concerning what is a worthy woman. So uh, please, please uh, get it, and I suggest the brothers would find a chance for the sisters to, uh, uh, to view that. Now, today we have, again, another pair of two lessons, which you have in front of you in outline form. Um, the first is based on the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 9 through 15. Now, in a bit, I would like all of us to read 
that passage. And the second one, uh, which is the next session, is based on another passage that is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and in this case, 3 and 4. Actually, 3 and 4 is actually embedded in this passage there in 1 Peter 2 concerning the wife of a husband, all right? Now, uh, let me say something to start off uh, to give you kind of an introduction before we get into this first passage. Um, These two are put together quite deliberately as a module. Um, The first one is a word from the Apostle Paul, whereas the second is a word from the Apostle Peter, both speaking to the sisters. More specifically, in Paul's case in 1 Timothy, you all know that this is what we call the first pastoral epistle. In this epistle, Paul was giving the charge, the instructions to Timothy concerning how to, I don't want to use the word manage, that's not a very good word, but it is concerning, uh, if you would want to have a single uh, uh, verse that would be the theme verse for this epistle, I would suggest that would be chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul said this, If I delay, I write that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. And of course, the next verse, which is a hymn, an old first century church hymn of sorts. It says, and confessedly great is the mystery of godliness, he who was manifested in the flesh, and so on. Referring actually to Christ with the church. Now, verse 15, this is the theme verse. So, this epistle concerns how one ought to behave oneself in the church, the house of God, the house of the living God. So this is the theme. This whole book of six chapters is Paul's uh, word to Timothy and through Timothy to the saints. Of course, in this case, in the church in Ephesus, how the saints ought to behave themselves, conduct themselves in the context of the church, which is God's house. And so Paul here gave some uh, specific instructions, I would say in a rather detailed way. So he began, and I, I don't have the time this morning, first even to start with, in his practical instruction, to terminate uh, all this kind of different teachings that were coming into the church at that time. 
um, as substitutes and distraction that the first thing a proper local church have to take care of is the teaching. And that is they have to come back to emphasize God's economy, the singular teaching of the apostles' teaching. That should be the central line of all the teachings in the local church. All right? So that is in chapter 1. And after that, he talked about, still in chapter 1, about the need to preach the gospel, that the church should be a gospel-preaching church. So we're now, you know, next week we're going to have some what we call GTCA and so forth. All this should not be just events or campaigns. The church should be always preaching the gospel. So this is Paul's instruction of what a proper church life should be. And then he uh, goes on to say, Things such as that we have to what? We have to fight war, a good warfare, because of these various heresies that would be coming into the church life. So, uh, and, and, and various kinds of opposition. And so, the saints need to know the truth, to stand uh, firmly in the truth, to war this good warfare, holding the faith with a good conscience. Then, starting in chapter 2, and this is where the passage we're going to read is found, it says, firstly, that the, uh, we, the church have to be a church of prayer. You know, this is in chapter 2. First of all, that we would pray. We would intercede for those in power, and also for all men, because it is the desire of the Savior God that all men would be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. And having said that, right after this, Paul became even more specific. He used one word to speak to the brothers, to the male saints, if you will. And that is in verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath or reasoning. So a proper church should be a praying church with the brothers taking the lead. The brothers should take the lead not just to do things. The brothers should take the lead to pray in every place. In Ephesians it says, we should pray at every time. In Timothy it says, we should pray at every place. That means whatever time, whatever place, it is an opportunity for prayer. And more prayer. I think, even when we hear this, we brothers should be quite convicted we don't do this enough. We talk more, quote, quote, in the name of fellowship. We tend to talk more 
than praying. But Paul say, lift up your holy hands and pray everywhere at every time with no wrath and no reasoning. How wonderful that church will be where you see brothers just praying, just praying. Then, listen to me, we come to the sisters. Now, interestingly, sisters, I'm not making a case against you. I'm actually making a case for you. In this passage about actually a normal life in the church, a normal church life, only one verse out of eight verses were given to brothers. Seven verses were given to the sisters. Now tell me, if you write something, okay? And most of it was written to someone, some specific person, and only a small part is written to a other person, you would make a very, very quick conclusion, which is more important. You agree with me? Which is more necessary? And in this case, clearly, the burden is heavy on the sister's side. For a reason. For a reason. I would say because, number one, positively, the sisters, the women, are so critical, so crucial in the church life, more so than the brothers. Even though the brothers were mentioned first. But the second side, which is on the little bit on the negative side, and that is the sisters are more vulnerable. Vulnerable to the enemy. Um to so many things. So the sisters need more speaking and more exercise and more attention. I would say this is why the apostle wrote in this kind of a way. Now, if you have your um, uh, Bible with you, I'm going to read to you what Paul wrote. Then we're going to get into this outline. If you have it, in English or in whatever language, please read it with me, okay? Verse 9 to verse 15. Similarly, that women adorn themselves in proper clothing with modesty and sobriety, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what befits women professing godly reverence by good works. Let a woman learn in quietness in all subjection. But I do not permit a woman to teach or to assert authority over a man, but to be in quietness. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, having been deceived, has fallen into transgression. But she will be saved through her childbearing if they remain in faith and love and holiness with sobriety. 
well, how come Paul did not speak this kind of thing to the man? While he spoke so much to the women, and to this women, he didn't talk about women, you need to pray, you need to this and that. He talked about something quite unusual here. And so, sisters, this morning, I would ask all of you to pay attention to this, all right? You may have some concept about even these things. Be open, all right? Be open to the Lord, be open to the Spirit, even have a spirit of prayer in you right now as you listen to this word, all right? Now, let me say one more thing, and I'm going to get into the outline. And that is this. In both this passage and the passage of the next lesson uh, on Peter, Peter, 1 Peter, note, please note this word adorn. In both cases, this word adorn was used. When it comes to women, the apostles used the word adornment. He didn't use this with man, with a man. With a man, it's not about that kind of adornment, although in a sense it is, but specifically to the sisters, it's about adornment because the women ought to adorn herself. Women should adorn themselves. You know, uh, even one day, this is in uh, Revelation chapter 21, the holy city will descend, you know, the new Jerusalem, right? In the new heaven and the new earth. It says this holy city city, uh, will be adorned, adorned, as a bride, to be the wife of the Lamb. Now, of course, that holy city um, comprises all of God's saints in the Old and the New Testament, all of the Lord's redeemed ones, right? To be the consummation of God's work in the universe in time. So we would all be there, right? And that New Jerusalem is not just a physical, is not a city, physical city, and it is not just a city, even in sign. That uh, New Jerusalem actually is a bride. It is a person. It is a woman. I call it, this is the city bride, all right? Or a bridal city. So, Here is a female, the universal female, who it was betrothed to the universal male. The universal male is clearly God embodied in Christ. And the universal female is the church, all of God's, in the New Testament, and all of God's people throughout the ages. And so that is seen in God's eyes as a female. So we're all female in that sense. And this wife of the Lamb, it says, it was ready to be married. 
ready as a bride to be married. And it says she was adorned. So adornment is a big thing to a woman, and in this case especially to a bridal woman, a woman about to be married. So today, you know, a lady may be quite ordinary and maybe even a little sloppy, but on the wedding day, sometime I look at the picture, I said, who is that? <laughs> uh, sister so-and-so, I said, she looks totally different. The dress, the makeup, the hairdo, <clears throat> all that. She's adorned. Now you see what I mean by adornment. Adornment means a kind of expression, a kind of outward expression of a person that happened to be beautiful, yeah? Happened to be pretty, happened to be pleasant, right? Yeah, today, in a sense, we're all adorned here, but we are all quite commonly adorned. So actually, you cannot use even the word adorned. We're just clothed. <laughs> but on marriage wedding day, you cannot just be clothed. You'll be kicked out of here. You don't even look like a bride, right? You need to be adorned for that occasion. Very special occasion. So, so sisters... I'd like you to pay attention this morning in all these two lessons to this word, adornment. This is the key word. How women should adorn themselves. This has everything to do with their church life. With a normal church life. Brothers, you just lift up your hands to pray. But sisters... It's about how you adorn yourself. I hope this morning you'll be deeply impressed about this spiritual and human adornment. Clearly, it is more than makeup, right? Clearly, it is more than, it is not talking about those kind of things. It is talking about something Inward. It is talking about something more beautiful than that. In the eyes of God. So here in lesson 11, the title is The Normal Life of the Sisters in the Church. This should be a normal situation. In other words, sisters, every day is wedding day. How about that? Every day is bridal day. If you have that kind of concept, then every day you would take care of your adornment. Every day you would take care of your behavior, of your expression, spiritually speaking. I, I really mean that. I really mean that. Now, adorning themselves here with two words, modesty and sobriety. Of course, that is found in verse 9. <clears throat> Modesty means, literally in Greek, the word 
shamefacedness, which is today cast out of our cultural dictionary. People, even women, don't even know such a word existed in the English language once upon a time, called shamefacedness, because there's no such thing anymore in our society. It seems. Then the other word is sobriety, which really means a kind of sober-mindedness or self-restraint. All right. These are all sound like old-fashioned words that don't belong to our age. But dear sisters, I'm not for new fashion, old fashion. I'm here for the Word of God. Okay, based on that, let's now look into what this past passage tell the sisters, the women, about how to live a normal life in the church. And sisters, this is not just so that you could. Look spiritual, or you could be like this or like that. But, dear sisters, this is about how one ought to conduct herself in the house of God. This is about the Lord's testimony on the earth. This is about how we can have a strong and rich church life that befits. The Lord's name. So many things we want to build up. In fact, we're here to build up the local churches. Depends on this kind of normal life. So it has direct bearing on the building up of the local churches. Okay, we need to see for Roman one the normal life of the sisters in the church. A, adorning themselves. So we have this verse. Let me read it again because it hasn't stuck yet. So similarly, similarly, my similar to the brothers raising up their holy hands to pray. Similarly, in other words. It's a kind of exercise, all right. A kind of exercise. You have to pay attention to this. You have to be deliberate about this. You have to care for this, dear sisters. That women adorn themselves in proper clothing. Now, this is outward. You know, physical clothing, with modesty and sobriety. That means our clothing, our outward expression, need to speak modesty, need to speak sobriety, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what befits women professing godly reverence by good works. Now, sisters, do not take this kind of fellowship. And surely, do not take the apostle's word in a way like this is a set of rules. This is a set of regulation. You should do this. You should not do this. In the church, we don't have such rules. We don't have dress codes for sisters. We 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 just don't have that, you know. 
But we have something else. We have the word of God. We also have the spirit of God that embodies the law of life within each one of us. Those are our present-day regulations, right? Not something that somebody wrote for the Lord's recovery. So now let's take a look at what does all this mean? What does all this mean? How should, sisters, we adorn or you adorn yourselves? Number one, the sisters should clothe and cover their body in a proper way. Proper clothing denotes what is fitting to the sister's nature and position as saints of God. So, Paul spent time to talk about even physical clothing, you know, outward clothing. But he didn't say how many inches, he didn't say anything, cuts and style, he didn't talk about that. As if he didn't need to talk about this. He rather said, that what? You should what? You should just have proper clothing. Then you say, what is proper? I don't know. Paul never told me. Paul just say proper. As if that's good enough. I would say, sisters, you know what is proper. I know what is proper. Am I right? And what is proper, and I like this definition, denotes what is fitting, what is suitable, what is right to the sister's nature and position as saints of God. You see, we're all born with a God-created human nature. Now, that nature, granted, has fallen, you know. It has uh, been made sinful and corrupted by the devil. Yes, true. That is true. But still, still, it is created by God. And therefore, that, I mean, that uh, uh, human nature created by God um, is still what? It still functions. It still operates mainly according to our conscience, the human conscience. That even when our spirit was deadened by sin, the conscience part of our uh, the conscience part of our spirit is still somewhat active still somewhat operative. Maybe not fully, but still to some degree. So what in Romans, the apostle says, the feeling. He used the word, there's a kind of a feeling in man. And that feeling simply simply speaks about the God-made human nature in man that operates according to their still operative conscience. And that conscience always agrees with the human nature that God made. God did not make man without 
a certain kind of nature. He made man with a male nature. He made the female with a feminine nature. And let me say something, they are different. Now I'm going to, as I speak these things, you know I'm going to speak something that is diametrically opposed to what society is teaching us and forcing down the throats of our young people. All right? I'm not going to apologize for that. In some other places, they probably will throw stones at me, but I'm here in pretty safe space, safe environment. So I'm going to speak. And this is not my idea, my philosophy, my agenda. This is simply the word of God. This is according to nature. You know, I just read today, at least in the U.S., one of every five young people, young generation today, or ten, either one is bad, of the young, young people today, think, at least entertain the thought that they may be a transgender. One out of every five or ten. Let, let's say ten. Let's be conservative. One out of ten of our young people, because they hear these things every day. Even they never have a thought in their nature. They're now being taught to be the truth that you may be a transgender. So they entertain the idea, and after a while they say, maybe I am. So one out of ten would entertain that thought. Whereas in God's nature, you're born, he's made you in a certain way. So, sisters, you have a feminine nature made by God, and that nature is something that you just normally would live according to. Just like me, I live according to my God-given nature as a man. All right? And not only our nature, but our position. Nature is one thing that, you know, sorry, I, I, I get stirred up when I talk about these things. It's time somebody gets stirred up, okay? You know, today, let me tell you, the whole feminist movement, it, it's, it's so hypocritical. You know, I thought the feminine, feminist movement is to make a woman, uh, you know, have the woman rights the, and, and to excel and to, uh, and to be equal and to be not uh, uh, looked down upon or... Um, I'm, I'm for all that. I'm for all that. But look, today the whole feminist movement, mainly, is trying to turn females into males. Now, that is not feminist. That is a masculinist movement. If, isn't that a hypocrisy? It's a joke. They're trying to turn women into men. That's not feminine. You see, the whole thing whole thing, dear saints, you have to see beyond what's behind. 
Behind all of this is the enemy. The rebellious one. The one whose agenda is to turn God's order in this universe upside down. So that he would replace God. So that woman will replace man. Do you follow me? This is altogether a devilish agenda. Until you see through this, you'll still be just locked in some social cultural battle. And we're not engaged in that battle. I'm not in that battle. I'm not fighting some professor somewhere. I'm here fighting for the word of God. For God's order in this universe. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. And I tell you, even your children, you need to help them in this way. Your son, you have to help them in a certain way. Your daughter, you have to help them in a certain way. According to their nature. And according to their position. It's about time. Otherwise, they will just listen to their teachers, their professors, and hear all this kind of junk. You say, you are here fighting. Sure I am. It's about time to fight. It's about time to speak up. You have to say, Mary, your daughter, this is your nature, and this is your position. John, this is your nature, this is your position. You you have to keep speaking it, because every day they're listening to something absolutely the opposite. Today they have gender fluidity. Today I'm a man, tomorrow I'm a woman. Today I go to this bathroom, tomorrow I go to that. Well, I don't have to. They make a transgender bathroom anyway, where everyone could go to. And I feel like today I'm a woman. I just feel like it. Tomorrow I feel like a man. No nature, no position. Just a mess. Just a mess. That's not God's creation. Number three, the Greek render modesty, uh, sorry, in Greek, the word for clothing implies deportment and demeanor. So I'm not just speaking this to sisters, to men, to, to every one of us. Clothing is not just the physical clothing here. Of course it is. But it means more than that. It implies our deportment. Our demeanor, the way you sit, for example, the way you position yourself, the way you gesture, the way you compose yourself. Don't say these are, who cares, who cares. Don't say this. This is part of our expression, our proper expression. A sister's demeanor of which clothing is the main sign, must befit her saintly position. You are, number one, a woman. So you need to behave as such. 
you are a saint in the Lord, a sister in Christ. So you should behave as such, just like a brother should behave as a man and behave as a brother in the Lord. Number three, the Greek word render modesty literally is the word shamefastness. I'm sorry, I didn't. I used the word shamefastness. Actually, shamefastness that is bound or made fast by an honorable shame. You know, this is Vincent's word. He's a biblical scholar. A, uh, um, so, this means what a uh, kind of an expression or demeanor that is bound by an honorable shame. You say, shame? What, what, what? What, we need to live in shame? Well, I would like to tell you, yes. Yes. In an honorable sense. My, when I see women and when I see sisters behaving like without any shame, I feel scared for them. And shame in this case is not, you know, that kind of a shame. Shame here is tied to honor. My, today I look at some of these politicians, these women, ladies. Oh. I tell you, I don't know what to say. I don't even care for what comes out of their mouth. Just I look at them, the way they speak, the way they are, I said. It says implying, not forward. You understand the word forward. Or overbold, but moderate, observing the proprieties of a woman. Now, these are things that in past times are just taught even in homes in under normal circumstances. But today, we almost need to teach it deliberately, even to our own children, because such things are not taught anymore. How to not, for a woman not to be forward, you know, like a man, forward, Bold like a man, overbold, but to be moderate and observing the propriety. You know, today propriety is a lost word. <laughs> it's not in Webster's anymore. Proper, that means to be proper. For sobriety denotes sober-mindedness and self-restraint. Self-control. It means to restrict oneself soberly and discreetly. You know, where is the word discretion anymore? To be discreet. To be decorous, to be honorable. Okay? The sisters in a local assembly or local church should clothe themselves with these two virtues. Number one, shamefastness and self-restraint as their demeanor. Now you say, whoa, what does any of these to do with God's economy? <laughs> oh, I know some sister, they can 
rattle of God's economy. I look at them, I said, that's not right. Something, there's a big gap between what they know and say than what they live and express. I know also some sisters. They couldn't tell you the first thing about what is God's New Testament economy. But when I look at them, I see godly reference. I see propriety, genuine ones. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sisters, don't think I speak these things here. I'm some, I'm here to oppress you. You know, I'm here down on women. I'm here to restrict the women. I have, I have not a bit of that heart. Not a bit. I have the greatest respect for women. It was the women that raised the watchman knee. Four women. Four women. Do you know that? That raised up Brother Watchman Nee. If you count his mother, <laughs> Sister Dora Yu will preach the gospel to her. Sister Ruth Lee, who was his main helper in his literature work, in his ministry. Sister Peace Wang, who was his co-worker, key co-worker in the Lord's work. These are the ones. Moses was raised up by four women. His mother, sister, Pharaoh's uh, maid and Pharaoh's daughter, without which there's no Moses. You have to go read the life studies. And I can tell you in my life similarly, but so dear sisters, I have no such thought within me. I hold the sisters and women to the highest regard. 70% of the building up of a local church depends on the sisters. 30% on the brothers. And that's why Paul spent more verses on the sisters than on the brothers. So no, I don't feel that way at all. But because the sisters are so important and with the backdrop of the society we live in today. Dear ones, you know why we need a word like this. I particularly have a burden for the younger sisters who are brought up in an educational system hearing all these things. It's in the pop culture. It's it's everywhere saturating society. In a very good sense, you forgive me to say this, We need a brainwash, a washing of the mind, a renewing of the mind in these things so that we would know how to behave ourselves 
in the house of God. I hope as I speak, the Spirit will enlighten. B, I'm already late. Learning. There's a kind of a learning. Let a woman learn in quietness and in all subjection, but I do not permit a woman to teach or to assert authority over a man. You see what's going on out there today? You know, today, not only we have women who just determined to dominate man, today I'm finding more and more when men who desire to be dominated by women. They actually have a desire to be subservient to a woman. It's strange. I, I just don't know what's going on. I don't know what is going on here. For, Ad, okay, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, having been quite deceived, has fallen into transgression. Now, let me restate again God's order in creation of man, the human species. He made Adam first. He formed Adam first out of the clay. And then he formed Eve. And Eve actually was not formed out of the clay directly. It was formed out of the rib taken out of Adam. So women came out of man. It was made by God. God made both men and women, but indirectly. So man was created, the woman was built. Man was molded, the woman was built out of a rib. So in order, it was man first and then women That's number one. Secondly, woman also is number one. Number one to be deceived. (laughs) She was, Eve, first to be deceived and then men. So for these two reasons, Paul has to speak this way, telling the woman how to be learning how to be in quietness and in all subjection, how women should not assert authority over man, but to be in quietness. Number one, quietness means silence. For a sister to learn in silence and in all subjection is to realize her position as a woman. Safeguards the sisters from the presumption of overstepping their position in the local assembly. Now, sisters, when we say silent, that means you should not sing, you should not prophesy, you should not sit, you just sit there. It doesn't mean that. Silence here means, according to the context, to teach in an authoritative manner. God, I mean, the apostle would not suffer any woman in a local church to what? To define doctrine. To preach with authority in that, or teach in that kind of a way. That is unbecoming. 
That is wrong. So in that sense, a woman should be silent. But a woman can what? Can pray. A woman can speak. And elsewhere in the epistles you find that that is what the apostle allowed and even encouraged. So sisters, this kind of teaching actually safeguards you from any kind of presumption. Two, Eve was deceived by the serpent because she did not remain in subjection under the headship of Adam, but overstepped her position to contact the evil tempter directly without her head being covered. Imagine that day Satan came you know, in the form of a serpent and come to this Eve and say, did God say this? You know, planting a question, did God say this? Imagine that the devil, I mean the woman, saw the snake coming and heard what the snake said and this woman would not even give the serpent the time of day. The first thing she does is turn away and run back to Adam and say, Adam, the guy's over there. It's your job. Take care of him. You protect me. Imagine that. I tell you, the Bible will be quite different. No, listen. This woman, Eve, I'm sure she was a smart lady, okay? I'm sure she's very smart. She was presumptuous. She didn't check with the husband. She was not covered by her head. She went up, she just responded to the devil. I tell you, that opened. That opened a crack through which the devil entered into mankind, bringing sin and eventually death. Corrupting man and also spoiling God's purpose with man. This is not a small thing. Not a small thing. So, sisters, you should know your position. You should have your head covered. This is right. This is right. Three, this is the strong ground for the apostle not to permit the sisters in a local assembly to teach with authority or to exercise authority over men, but to learn in silence and remain in all subjection. Man's lead headship is woman's protection. I like that. Man's headship is a woman's protection. Today, my goodness, everything is totally the opposite of this. Women now wants to be head and determine that they are the better head. It's not about smarts. It's not about degrees. It's about the divine order in the matter of headship. Seriously. See, there's salvation. There's a salvation for the women. But she will be saved through her childbearing if they remain in faith and love and holiness with sobriety. 
I love all these words, faith, love, holiness, and sobriety. <clears throat> Childbearing is a suffering. Suffering restricts and protects the fallen one from transgression. Two, in verse 15, Paul also mentions faith, love, and holiness. Faith is to receive the Lord. Love is to enjoy him. And holiness is to express him through sanctification. Isn't this good? So today, sisters and brothers as well, we all need to remain in faith, in love, and in holiness. These three things. By faith, we please God. By love, we keep the Lord's word. And by holiness, we see him. Let's just remain in this. How wonderful. <clears throat> Number two, I don't think I need to actually spend much time on this. The two virtues, modesty and sobriety, are of great importance in the church life. I'll just read it. In this lesson, we are especially burdened concerning modesty, the leading female virtue. In some families, there's not adequate stress on modesty. Rather, boys and girls are brought up and instructed in the same way. They should not be. They should be taught differently. Modesty is a virtue which emphasizes the difference between male and female. If you ask what is the difference between male and female, I would say modesty is the key difference. As we have pointed out, the Greek word Render modesty in two nine is literally shamefastness that is bound and made fast by an honorable shame. The word related to the virtue of modesty is shamefacedness. You do have the word shamefacedness here. To be shamefaced is to be modest and have a sense of shame and know how to show shame. When a sister speaks in a church meeting, she should do so with modesty, with a certain amount of shamefacedness. You know, when you see this, this is not acting, this is not performance, this is very normal. And when you recognize that in a normal way, it is so right, it is so pleasant. There's an amen within you. There's an echo within you. This sister is so proper. Yeah. Um, modesty is a great safeguard and protection to a free male. It is a mistake to teach girls in the same way as boys. There's some famous celebrity who just declared, I'm going to raise up my child in a transgender fashion. It's all over the news. You know, whatever comes out of Hollywood is news, huh? I'm going to raise up my child in a transgender fashion. That means I'm going to teach it, I, I suppose it's an it, to be both, to know how to be a man and how to be a woman. I'm going to train him up so he, he or she, I don't even know, can make up their mind. Boys may expose themselves in certain situations, I hope you understand the word exposed doesn't mean something bad like that, okay? Uh, girls, however, should not. Otherwise, 
they will be without protection. This lack of protection can open the way for fornication. Maybe we should change the word "exposed" to another word. It's that it doesn't mean that. Okay. Five. If the women work working in an office have the virtue of modesty, they will be free from any improper involvement with the men who work there. The proper covering, the necessary modesty, shamefacedness, which causes her to keep a proper distance. Even distance means a lot. Means a lot. D. All the sisters in the church life should have the virtue of modesty. The sisters should dress according to the principle of modesty. This principle does not allow the exposure of one's body. For a woman to expose her body is to go against the principle of modesty. A sister needs to have a head covering, not only physically but also psychologically, ethically, morally, and spiritually. This is the modesty spoken of in the Bible. To be modest simply means that a female is fully covered <coughs> in every way. Obviously, sisters, Paul is not talking about these. What do you call this? Burker?、Uh, what? What burk? What? Whatever. You know these things that you cover everything. I, I'm, I'm sure Paul is not talking about that.、Um, uh, neither, I believe, Paul is talking about being.、Um, Uh, loose and 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 unkempt and uh, uh, shabby and、uh, and you know you know what I mean just just kind of not kept up not not presentable you, you you understand what I'm saying I don't think that is what Paul is talking about I think you and I know what Paul is talking about here <clears throat> something in excess. Right,、uh, either in the way of adornment, you know,、uh, with the hair, with with uh, um, um, uh, other kind of a, a jewelry, gold, and all these kind of things. And also, I like what Paul is talking about here,、uh, or rather, the word here, not only something a physical covering on the head, but also. A psychological covering, an ethical, moral, and spiritual. I like this. I really like this kind of a teaching. All right. Just remember, a sister should be, in principle, be covered. That is their safeguard, according to their position as a saint of the Lord. E. The sisters should never forget that they are females. They must be true.、Uh, this must be true of young unmarried sisters. They should be careful not to allow any evil thing to defile the holy body, which has been separated unto God and which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. For a young woman, excuse me, to preserve her body in this way requires modesty. All the young sisters need to wear a heavenly cloak to cover themselves. From the influence of this evil age, then they will be preserved for God's purpose. You see, this heavenly cloak is not a physical <laughs> cloak; it is a spiritual cloak、uh, 
of your demeanor, um, of your deportment that covers you and preserves you for God's purpose. F, along with modesty, the sisters need sobriety. As a sister is practicing modesty, she needs to be sober. Far from being foolish, she should be sober-minded and discreet. She should be clear about things and have a keen discernment. A sister should be quiet, but she should not be without sobriety and discernment. Uh, Sisters, you should have that proper kind of discernment, obviously, Um, to be sober so you know in this situation that's how you ought to behave. In that kind of environment, that's how you ought to behave. And um, this is to be discreet. This is to know how to have discretion. Three, the sisters should attend the church meetings in order to gain the full knowledge of the truth. This knowledge will cause them to be sober in their understanding. Then, along with their modesty, they will have what Paul calls holiness with sobriety. For they will not be holy in a foolish way, in a way devoid of knowledge. On the contrary, they will be holy in a way that is full of knowledge, understanding, and discernment. I think this is good enough. Now, I'd like to just say there's one word that I had mentioned already. It's not in the outline. And that is in verse 10. Uh, that is, a woman should adorn themselves <clears throat> with what befits women professing godly reverence. Now, this word is, uh, uh, shares the same root word as the word godliness. The word godliness. So, um, it means a kind of, not just uh, something towards man. It means here something even towards God. Not just towards people, but even towards God. The way you uh, carry yourself, the way you deport yourself, the way you are, is even before God. So it is women professing godly reverence, even by good works. So there's a kind of a godliness there. A kind of godliness there. There is an expression of God. There's a kind of divine expression there. There's something of Christ there in that kind of expression. So there's no rules, there's no regulation, but there is just the expression of Christ. Now, sisters, so I would say these kind of teaching is actually very needed in this age today. I don't think this is too much or wasting time, especially for the younger sisters among us. And none of this should be taken, I say again, as rules in the recovery, whereas, sisters, I would just uh, exhort all of of you to really bring this to the Lord, 
for more light, and also to even pray read words like this, and to touch the Spirit, to touch the Lord. And when your spirit is enriched, enlightened, uh, enlivened, uh, I tell you, the Lord will operate within you. The Lord will operate. The law of life will operate within you. Inwardly, you have you become more sensitive to the Lord, um, and all these kind of things will happen. No one even will tell you what to do. Inwardly, you just know how to be, how to behave yourself. And under this situation, dear sisters, the church life among us would be so normal, so normal. And the Lord can do something among us. Is it okay? Now, I know we have to stop here. I know we have to stop here. But I always like to leave just a little time. Well, maybe this is good enough. I've gone long enough. Maybe just have a little, uh, little bit of prayer with your neighbor, and then we can have a break. How about this? Okay? Just for a minute, have a little prayer.